presents up here. I'm a bit of a softie for Christmas. So, uh, two presents. Here they are. And uh, there they are. One seems very small and very dull. Slightly unimpressive, doesn't it? It's kind of very ordinary looking. Oh, you know, there it is. We'll look at that perhaps in a, in a moment or two. This one, however, my son's went a little bit over the top of this, but there we go. Look, all these boats. This is impressive, isn't it? This is a big present. I mean, look at the potential of what could be inside the wrapping of this present. Now, my heart is going iPad Pro. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I'm going, whoa, yes, please. You know my heart now a little bit, but there you go. What could they be? One looks extraordinary, and one looks very ordinary indeed. Let me tell a little bit of a story if I can. In 1976, a very geeky, rather smelly, ordinary-looking individual named Steve Wozniak He approached the bosses of the company in which he worked, and he went with them with an idea that he'd been working on in his spare time. It was a computer. And he went there, he approached his bosses five times and says, please will you invest and build this computer for the company in which we serve and work in. And they turned him down five times. So eventually he began his own company. He, event- he did actually want to call it Phaser Beam Computers. He was a bit of a Star Trek fan. But his best friend and co-founder, uh, Steve, someone else, decided they would call it Apple. Steve Wozniak was a very ordinary-looking man. But what he held physically in his hands that day, which was essentially the Apple One computer, and what he had potentially in who he was and his abilities, well... One could argue that would be worth over $600 billion worldwide today. Now, Bill Hewlett, who was the co-founder of Hewlett-Packard, and was one who was there at all of those five occasions where they turned away Steve Wozniak, he vividly remembers those occasions, and he recalls saying this simply, you win some and you lose some. But you have to say, what a loss. He neglected to take a proper look at what Steve Wozniak had created. He didn't go beyond this initial pressure of seeing this rather sweaty, scruffy, odd-looking chap before him. He just couldn't get beyond the ordinariness. Is there a chance that may be true for you? Christmas is such a wonderful time, isn't it, of the year. The festivities, the parties, the time off work. Now, here's one. The chance to watch films that you'd never legitimately watch throughout the year with a nephew or a niece or some other young child. Is that true? I watched Frozen for the first time last year, okay? And I sat down with my little niece. She was sat on my knee. She was wearing a dress. We watched Frozen. She was dressed as the princess. We sang all the songs. I didn't know them, but we sang them anyway. And it was fun. It was amazing. I know some of you guys are going, no, it's not, but you really know it is. Now, Christmas time, you see, all the festivities, they're extraordinary, aren't they? It's such fun, and we love it, and why not? But by comparison, the story of Christmas, it seems so ordinary, doesn't it? So dull, so unimpressive. So lacking in glamour and style. I mean, after all, let's just think it through. Big picture. Born in a stable, into poverty, hounded by the establishment to be killed, unaccepted by the social elite, not even pictured in any magazine or publication of the time. It's hardly worth giving a thought to, is it? Because it's so ordinary. 
You might say to yourself, you know, you win some, you lose some, like Bill uh, um, Hewlett did. Thinking, well, it doesn't seem to be much of a loss if I, if I just push this proper Christmas stuff to the back. Well, I want you to listen, if you can, to the words of Mary Flannery O'Connor. She's an academic, a social commentator in America. She said this. God told the world that he was going to send it a king, and the world waited. The world thought a golden fleece will do for his bed. Silver and gold and peacock tails and a thousand sons will do for his crib. His mother will ride on a four-horned white beast and use the sunset for a cape. But instead, Jesus came on cold straw. Jesus was warm by the breath of an ox. Who is this, the world said. Who is this blue cold child and this woman plain as the winter? Is this the word of God, this blue cold child? You see, as far as the world is concerned, and maybe you here tonight, this is not how a king, God, a Messiah, comes. It just is too ordinary. It's just too unimpressive, too easy to dismiss, isn't it? Maybe that is what you think. Well, I'm going to try, if I can, to for a few moments, apparently look at this unimpressive and ordinary figure. But my hope, and I guess my prayer is this. That you come and begin to open up to the possibility that you may have been a little bit too hasty in your dismissal of that blue cold child. Because the ordinary looking may actually turn out to be utterly, utterly extraordinary. We heard a few moments ago from that passage in the Bible. It's a very traditional Christmas carol passage. If you went to the kind of school that I did, it's the kind of reading you'd had every year. It's an Old Testament passage. That is, it's speaking of God's people uh, before Jesus. It's from a prophet called Isaiah. He wrote this 600 years before Jesus came. God gave words for Isaiah to speak to his people. And this is what we've heard read. It speaks of a child being born, of a son being given. And this is just one, just a little aside, this is just one of more than 100 prophecies that came 600 to 800 years before Jesus came. Of a Messiah Christ, of one who would come to save God's people. Details about his birth, the circumstances surrounding his birth, his life, his death, the details of his family. They're all there 400 to 600 to 800 years before Jesus came. And do you know what's quite remarkable? Every single one came true. Everyone. What are the odds? They're infinitely high. But within our passage today, look, look down if you want to. Uh, at verse 6, there are four little couplets of titles given to this baby that's to be born. And that's all I want to really look at and spend a little time on. Uh, because ordinary they are not. Look at the titles given to this baby that's going to be born in the future. He's a wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And what Isaiah is foretelling here is that there's going to be a baby born and it's going to be significant and vast. The packaging, oh, it may not be a golden fleece. Gold and silver and peacock tails, but the blue cold child with a mother as plain as winter will have power and such significance that will outlive and outshine all by comparison. 
Oh, let's have a look at those titles. Look what it says. It says it's going to be Mighty God. Really? He's not saying he's going to be like God. He's saying he's going to be, he is going to be God in human flesh. God in his infinite love is going to come and condescend himself and say, I'm going to, I'm going to love you and I'm going to come be with you. I'm going to dwell with you. And therefore, this prophecy is saying that there's going to be someone who comes who's going to be unstoppable. There's going to be this infinite force, unsurpassed, unable to be controlled by us. He's going to be king. He's going to be a mighty God. Look at the second one. It's going to be wonderful counsellor. Literally, that means he's going to be a supernatural teacher. The one who will point out the truth about me and about you. And about the world in which we live. Look at thirdly, it says it's going to be an everlasting father. That is, like a father who cares infinitely for his children. He knows us perfectly. There is perfect empathy for those he cares for. He's an everlasting father. Lastly, he's a prince of peace. He will never actually come and say, I will bring peace on earth between you and the rest of humanity. In fact, Jesus comes and he says, there's going to be ever increasing bloodshed and wars until I finally one day come. It's funny that, isn't it? We live in a so-called, we like to think of ourselves as enlightened. Did you know that last century more people died than in all the centuries previous put together within history? Is that enlightened? Really? We've just become more proficient and efficient at killing each other. Our hearts haven't changed. This baby foretold, you see, is the Prince of Peace because he'll bring the peace that really matters. That is peace between us and God. This baby is foretold and he will be mighty God, wonderful counsellor, everlasting father, prince of peace. But the elephant in the room, the question I guess in many of our hearts is this, was he? Really? I mean this is just a prophecy 600 years before, really come on, was he? First glance, whether you look at his birth or his life or his death, you could, be very, you could very easily say face value, so ordinary, you could even go and be critical and say, Pathetic. Pitiful. After all, born in poverty, lived in poverty, never owned a home, died a humiliating death, buried in a borrowed grave, it is utterly pathetic. Mighty, wonderful, everlasting, prince. You can't use those titles to Jesus' face value, can you? So what are we going to do? My first thing is this. Just please don't flippantly dismiss at this case, at this point, sorry. Think about the magnitude of what Jesus is claiming here. Jesus is saying, mighty God, wonderful God, Prince of Peace, everlasting Father. So don't flippantly desist. The claim is massive, isn't it? Let me illustrate that if I can. Imagine, let's say you, you receive tomorrow morning a letter. It's from a very reputable law firm in the centre of London. And they say, you have a long lost relative and they, they've died and they've left you their estate. Ten billion pounds. Okay. And you know it's not a scam, it's from a reputable firm, and you, there you are, all you need to do is they say, you need to be in your house between 2 and 4 o'clock on Saturday afternoon, a guy's going to come, give you the cheque, it's going to be delivered in the, in, the, in the Ferrari, and that is going to be yours as well. What do you do? 
Would you purposely go out between two and four o'clock on Saturday afternoon? No. Wouldn't you at least be slightly intrigued? Oh, you might think, oh, it could be a scam, I'm not sure. I'll lock the doors, I'll close the window, I'll peer out behind the curtains and just check, listening out for the roar of the V12 Ferrari coming down the road. Would you do that? Of course you would. Because of the magnitude of the claim. You're not going to miss the opportunity of missing out on £10 billion, are you? If it was 10 quid, you'd be thinking... Go out my mates or 10 quid. You know, 10 billion and a Ferrari. That's what I'm thinking of. Okay? You'd stay, wouldn't you? It's too big to miss out on. Well, if Jesus is who the Bible claims he is, please don't flippantly miss him and dismiss him. Don't go out. Stay in. Peer out behind the curtain if you like, if you need to. Look at the evidence. And then intellectually deal with it and dismiss it properly or take hold of it. Don't believe anyone else and what they think or what, you know, your grand said to you one day, oh, don't believe that Jesus stuff. Yeah, no, don't waste your time on that. Do you really? Is that the way you work? Is that really rational? Have a look at the magnitude of this. If you haven't quite got it, let me show you a bit if I can. You know, if it's claimed that this ordinary baby will be mighty God... Was he? Well, I want you just read. Have a look at the historically verified you know, documentation that you can read of Jesus' life. Find out. Take one of the Gospels. We've got loads there for you to take on your way out. Have a read over Christmas. Come back and just say, this is utter rubbish. Or just come back and say, I want to know more. But find out. He did stuff that only God could do. He even conquered death himself. Miracles all over the place. And I know what you're thinking. You're kind of going, oh, it's just legend, isn't it? Legend. Well, one, it's not written as legend. So know your literature. Secondly, can I very gently ask you, where are the contra-histories? Where are they? That is, where are the historical documents saying that Jesus didn't do those things? Where are they? Because in history, these kind of things happen. Someone claims something and everyone sort of wrote down and said, this is a hoax. This is a conspiracy. They wrote those things down. Where are they about Jesus? They just don't exist. Even Jesus' opponents, those who hated him, the Greeks, the Romans, the Jews, those who eventually killed him, they couldn't deny he did things that only a mighty God could do. It's claimed that this ordinary baby would be a wonderful counsellor, a supernatural teacher. Was he? Well, age 12, you can read in Luke's Gospel that he was uh, you know, teaching in the synagogues and people were utterly amazed. He spoke the truth about humanity and of God. And again and again, when you look through the historical accounts, just as they were amazed, he was a great a supernatural teacher. But being a wonderful counsellor is not the same as, as the caricature good bloke he is understood by many to be, or just a good teacher. That's what people say, don't they? Maybe you think that. Do you think a good bloke or a good teacher says, give up everything and follow me? Do you think a good bloke or a good teacher says, I want you to love me more than you love anything else in this world, whether it's your wife, your husband, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your mum, your dad, your siblings, whatever it may be. Love me more than anyone else. Is that what a good teacher teaches? 
Do you think a good teacher or a good bloke says that one day the whole universe will bow down and worship him? He's either a mad, power-hungry, crazed weirdo, or he truly is who he says he is. God in human flesh, the wonderful counsellor. Thirdly, it's claimed that this ordinary baby will be everlasting father. That is the perfectly caring, all-knowing one. Question again, in your heart and mind, was he? Well, no one argues that he is the most influential man in all history. How did he use that influence and power? To love and to serve and to save. When he was hung on a cross, being tortured in utter pain... What did the Roman soldier who'd driven the nails through his wrists and his ankles say of him? He saw him in utter pain, and yet what was Jesus doing? He was loving those around him. He even prayed for those around him, those who were persecuting him. And what did that Roman centurion say? He said, surely that man's the son of God. That is, he saw that everlasting fatherness in him. And he came to the only conclusion he could. That he was the perfectly caring one, the everlasting father. Lastly, it's claimed that this ordinary baby will be the prince of peace. In living the life that we cannot live, that is, he lived perfectly. Couldn't pin anything on Jesus. In dying a death on a cross, that is, he died taking the justice that my rebellion against God deserves. Yeah, it's cool indifference, isn't it, from me? That's what middle class people do, isn't it? It's not hostile rebellion. It's just cool indifference. Jesus takes that all on himself on the cross, all that justice I deserve, all that ignoring of God. And then in defeating death, evidenced by thousands, by the way, in offering his life, death and resurrection in exchange for ours, through faith, by trusting all of that, he is the Prince of Peace. You can trust him, believe him, put your faith in his death, his life and his resurrection And you will know peace with God forever. And more than two billion of the world's population today are either deceived fools or humble recipients of that undeserved grace. I want to ask you, do you think this baby is still ordinary? Listen to the words of the English writer, very famous novelist, G.K. Chesterton, who uh, uh, was battling with this same question. He wrote this. If I found a key on the road and discovered it fit and opened a particular lock in my house, I'd assume most likely that the key was made by the lock maker. And if I find a set of teachings set out in a pre-modern oriental society that had proven itself with such universal validity that it had fascinated and satisfied millions of people in every century, including the best minds in history and the simplest of hearts, That it had made itself home in every culture has inspired masterpieces of art and beauty in every field of art and continues to grow rapidly and spread and assert itself in lands where a century ago the name of Jesus Christ was not even heard. If such teaching so obviously fits the locks of so many human souls in so many times and so many places... And they are likely to be the work, uh, sorry, are they likely to be the work of a deceiver or fool? In fact, it is more likely. They are designed by the heart maker. This child to be born that Isaiah spoke of looked very ordinary indeed, but he fits the lock. 
He makes sense of life and even death itself. Isaiah said in that passage that a baby born will come as light into deep darkness. Now that, that deep darkness word in Hebrew basically means a death shadow. The baby child comes, Jesus, God in human flesh, as light into the darkness of my life. Now, not as dark as some, but, you know, still got a bit of dark patches, as I guess you have as well. And he offers eternal life and peace with the ultimate life giver. As Chesterton put it, the heart maker, God himself. Now, what are you going to do with Jesus? He offers you everything. And at first glance, you might have put him off. But perhaps now, perhaps now you might consider him a second glance. Look at the evidence. Be rational. Look beyond the ordinary and see how his teaching fits the lock and the heart of your life. If you think Jesus is just some historical figure or some good legendary bloke, can I, can I suggest to you very, very gently, I don't think you've ever met the real Jesus. Because there's only three reactions that we ever see. C.S. Lewis summarized it this way. He said, there's three reactions that you ever see when someone meets the real Jesus. And they're all extreme. That is, you'll either hate him, as we saw in the Bible a number of times, and therefore want to kill him, or either you'll be so frightened of him and run from him away, or you will love him and run to him. He's a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Run to him. Run to him. I must finish. Should we open some presents? Let's have some fun. It's a big present. Looks extraordinary, doesn't it? Woo! Yeah, that's the first one you take from the tree on, on Christmas morning, wouldn't it? You go, yes, yeah, someone's really pulled out the stops here. Lots of, like, lots of bows, lots of things. Look, let me open it. I'm excited. Are you? I can feel the tension in the room. So we're all there. We're all with it. Look, what is it? It is... Oh, it's an iPad Pro. Yes, I know. I was excited too. I didn't know that. It was amazing. Look, happy Christmas me. Thank you very much indeed. Look, what do we know about iPads? Um, they're beautiful. They last for a while. We could have some wonderful games on it. Could we watch them? bit of Netflix, whatever, what series you're on at the moment, you know. We could do that. Nothing wrong with it. It will be fun. It will be brilliant. But it's an Apple product. The battery lasts about two years and then it's gone. <laughs> it's a big present. It looks extraordinary. It's lovely. What about the small present? You probably dismiss this at the end. You think your granny has kind of put it at the end of the tree. She's kind of forgot to put a name on it. And there you go. Okay, let's open it and see what it's like. Let's open it. If I can. Oh, I've done a good job here. Don't you hate people that wrap too well? It's really annoying, isn't it? What is it? It's a solid gold coin. And it's worth infinitely more than the iPad Pro. My friends, don't be fooled. Have a look at Jesus, because just think about it. No one's ever discovered a word that he ought to have said. No one has ever found a deed that he ought to have done. He is utterly, utterly, utterly extraordinary. Let me finish, if I can, with a quote from a 
quite a famous Yale history professor, Kenneth Scott Lazarette, and he's battling with the same questions that some of you may have, and he said this. Why among all the cults and the philosophies competing in the Greco-Roman world did Christianity succeed and outstrip all others? Why did it succeed despite getting more severe opposition than any other? Why did it succeed though it had no influential backers in high places, but consisted mainly of the poor and slaves? How did it succeed so completely that it forced the most powerful state in history, that's the Greco-Roman Empire he was talking of, to come to terms with it and then outlive the very empire that sought to uproot it? It is clear from the very beginning of Christianity there must have occurred a mass release of energy, perhaps unequaled in our history. Without it, the future course of the Christian religion is inexplicable. Lazarus later on came to realise that that, as he described it, that mass release of energy was in fact the long-awaited, very ordinary-looking, poor-in-circumstances baby Jesus. Because he's the wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Oh yeah, Jesus is born in ordinariness. But he, uh, he offers each of you tonight an undeserved gift of grace. He offers the absolutely extraordinary. And therefore, I guess, my only encouragement to finish is this. Run to him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we're going to have a wonderful time this Christmas, Christmas I guess, many of us. But I pray amongst all of the extraordinary looking stuff that we will love and enjoy, and rightly so, we will look to the ordinary at first glance, Jesus. We will give ourselves time to just investigate more so that we can begin to know him as the wonderful counsellor, the mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen.